And please open your Bibles to Titus chapter 1, and we will read, I would like to read through chapter 2, verse 8. Again, let's give our attention to the Lord and his word. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you, namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their, ch- their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Again, this is the Lord's word. Would you bow with me? And let's ask the Lord's blessing. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you again for this evening, and we thank you, Lord, for the hymns. We thank you for the truth of those hymns, and we thank you for the truth of your word. We come before you again, um, reading this instruction that you have given to us in your word, um, examining ourselves um, thinking about our church, thinking about, Lord, your, your calls and your commands, um, asking, Father, that you would bless us as your word goes forward now. Please, O oh Father, I pray that your spirit would be present with us both to bless this servant and to bless these, your people. I ask, Father, that you would give uh, ears to hear and that your name would be honored. I do ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, the last few weeks that I've been up here, and eventually I am 
uh, I'm intending, and I actually started this week working on acts again, and I uh, couldn't quite get the airplane off the runway. Uh, but I've stood up here uh, in the book of Titus, and I've exhorted you all, uh, older men and older women, younger women and younger men, um, laying some pretty heavy things on us, and sometimes those things weigh heavily upon us, uh, true words, and yet not always easy to hear. Um, all of these things that the Apostle Paul has given to Titus, has, has instructed Titus in, are all because of the gospel. They're all because of what Christ has done. And so the implication is that the gospel should affect how we live our lives in the respective roles in which the Lord has called us. So we are not what we are by accident, as we have said so many times. Um, we are what we are by the grace of God, and he puts us where he puts us, that we might serve him in the capacity that he has created us to serve him. And he's put us in this place, in this place, in, in, in this time in history. And so if we want to see a change come about in our land, uh, we must live out what we say we believe. This is the Apostle Paul's concern, that we would live out the things that we say we believe. Um, and you have been a, a, a gracious people. You have listened uh, listened to exhortations and things like this that have not been easy. The Proverbs and Proverbs twelve fifteen says that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. The church in our culture, uh, having adapted itself to the culture, uh, her witness has grown dim. Uh, very dim, and I believe her saltiness has become bland. If we are to lame, lay blame on anyone in the church for this, um, it would not fall upon the older men. It would not fall upon the older women. It would not be upon the younger women and the younger men, but it would be with her leaders. It would be with her ministers and her elders. It has been said and I believe this is a true statement, that a congregation rarely, if ever, surpasses its leadership in godliness. The ministers in the Lord's church, uh, elders in the Lord's church, have been worldly. We're worldly. We have become entangled in the affairs of everyday life, as Paul would caution. Like Demas, we have loved this present world. We do our jobs as those who are not concerned about pleasing the one who has called us, but as being man-pleasers. We say things, but don't do them. We place heavy burdens on people, uh, but uh, themselves are unwilling to even lift a finger. Jesus said this concerning the Pharisees. They look spiritual, but in reality they're fleshly. They have loved places of honor and respectful greetings. Um, oftentimes, leadership, and we hear this, are full of hypocrisy. They strain at gnats, but they swallow camels. They don't preach the truth. They don't counsel the truth. They stray from the pure milk of the word. They preach the latest fad theology. Um, they feed themselves, and they don't feed the sheep. The church is there for them, and not they for the church. Listen to the Apostle Paul. And again, this comes to this attitude of why we do what we do. I was asked not long ago, if you could do being a pastor all over again, would you do it? And I was surprised at the answer that came out of my mouth. Because I said, yes, 
<laughs> I was surprised that it just bloop, blurped, blurped right out of me. Um, what a wonderful calling, but what a, what a, heavy, a heavy calling at times. The Apostle Paul, I find great encouragement from his words. He says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. I think that's one of those verses that always uh, impacts me afresh because it's, it's the, the, the job of the ministry is, is a calling from the Lord. It's, it's not a job. You don't escape it. It, it. it calls you. It chooses you. A man called me a few weeks back and said he was considering the ministry, and I was reminded of a, a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, who said to young ministers, if there's something else you can do, go do it. And, and I understand what he means, because it's not just a job. You're called to it, and it's inescapable if you're called to it. And if you can escape it, then chances are this isn't a calling. It chooses you, and so it was all-consuming for the Apostle Paul. He gave his life to it, and he didn't in any way consider his life important to himself so that he might do the work the Lord called him to and to do it faithfully. And this is the, this is the direction we see that the, the apostle, as he's talking to Titus, this is the direction. Listen to, again, what he said of Timothy. We looked at this some weeks back in Sunday school. But he says this of Timothy. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interest and not those of Christ Jesus. And so in our day, why is the church, why is the church in the condition it's in? Why is the nation in the condition it's in? Why are we so bent on being consumers? Perhaps we need to look no further than the men who are leading in our churches. And I say this, friends, and, and um, I say this, and I, I think it's something we should all take to heart. Paul is addressing the leadership. He's addressing Titus. By implication, he's addressing men who lead. And by implication, he addresses them because this is the calling of the people of God not to be half-hearted or lukewarm towards the things of the Lord. What does he say to Timothy? Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. And in this way, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. You are to watch over yourself. You are to guard yourself. The pulpits are dim because they're not aflame with the light of holiness. Because we stand in the pulpits and we tell jokes and anecdotes and we make man central instead of Christ and we cater to the feelings of people and not asking ourselves this fundamental question, what would be most pleasing and glorifying to our Savior who died and gave his life for us? This is a high this is a high calling. This is a heavy weight. This is a burden that we are called to. And here Titus, a young man and yet a minister of the gospel who has been left in Crete, 
Uh, he is left there in order to set in order what remains and to appoint elders in every city as the Apostle Paul had directed him. Here he is on this island of Crete, notorious for its dissolute citizens. The young church is under attack with loose morals from without and false teachers from within. Again, Paul warns about rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision who are teaching things that should not they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. There is a battle for the souls of men and women, and it is a, a, an uphill battle. But it is not a battle that is in vain. But it is one that won't be done quickly nor easily, but must be engaged in one day at a time, persistently and faithfully. In what way, then, must we engage this battle to see people set free? In what way must we engage in to see Americans stop looking less and less like Americans and looking more and more like Christians? How do we do this? Um, pastors and, and elders must speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Everyday conversation with older men, older women, the younger men, the younger women, encouraging them to live out their faith in the roles to which God has assigned them. This is an important point. We must not merely speak. Notice he has, he's exhorted them. These are the things that he is supposed to speak, but it, it doesn't stop there. You must not merely speak it. Titus, you must demonstrate it. And this, I'm afraid, is where the church has dropped the ball. Even in reform circles, we drop the ball at this point. We, we have much sound teaching. We have much sound practice. I saw this quote on Facebook from this guy who's uh, working with pastors. I thought it was an excellent quote. He said, remember this, pastor. Your job, one of your jobs is to preach but you're primarily a pastor. You're with people. You deal with people. You work with people. And so the importance of the example is important in the Lord's church. Again, in verse 7a, in all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds. Again, addressing Titus and by implication all who would be leaders in the Lord's church Titus is not merely to tell or to exhort others in the church as to how to live out the implications of the gospel, but is to set before the church an example. So we should not think uh, at this point, we shouldn't think that he isn't, but the church should know that Paul and Titus are called to do so. And this is for all of us, for all elders, for all deacons, for all pastors. Um, this is what the Lord calls us to. It's it's a mix, and it's this beautiful mix of sound doctrine and sound living, orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right? And as my, one of my professors uh, said in seminary, he says, if you're not practicing these things, you don't know them. There's no such thing as dead orthodoxy. Orthodoxy always must go hand in hand with orthopraxy if it is to be truly lived and understood. And that's something we need to keep in mind as, as believers, that we, we mustn't just sit and say, I love the creeds, I love the catechisms, I love this doctrine, I love to, to sit and, and talk about these things. And then it comes to know it has no bearing in our lives as to how we live and how we die and how we serve and how we give and how we give our whole life for the Lord. We're not called to, to simply do that. We're not called to merely talk about theories we're called to live these things out. 
And if we don't live them out, then we don't know them and we're not being obedient to the Lord. The importance of example, the importance of practice is vital to a healthy church. And that, that, that practice in the church is vital to, to changing a world, to changing a culture, to changing society. So as the pulpits grow dim and we stray from these things, we see a darkness settle in. But when the word is opened and we hear, Thus saith the Lord, and the people of God hear and obey, guess what happens? You take the truth of this message and you put it into practice six days a week out in the the public. It's important. So you can understand why the Apostle Paul would place an emphasis on this very thing. Again, he's not merely to tell them. He is exhorted to set an example. How many words have been undermined uh, from the pulpit, from day-to-day conversation, because our lives did not align with what we spoke? It is the quickest way, my friends, to nullify our earnest pleas and gospel speech is to live like the devil. I'm always mindful of this when I go into a restaurant. I had a sister who made tips at a friendlies in uh, Ohio. And she always come back home at night. I remember she'd be hot and she'd be tired and she'd take her tip jar and she'd dump it out on the kitchen counter and she'd start sorting through dimes, nickels, quarters, and dollar bills. And um, she, she always said, and this stuck with me, she goes, you know the Christians are the worst tippers. She says, and here they are, they pray. Sometimes they'll leave me a gospel track. And she goes, they're the worst tippers. I hate it when I get religious people. (laughs) This stuck with me so that when we go out, I know we pray over our meal, even if the service isn't as good as I wish it was. The standard fare is 20% because they saw us praying, and I didn't want them to see us as being miserly because it reflects, you see, upon the Lord. And, and, and two, to be, to be honest, um, we don't always do such a good job at representing the Lord in public. You know, you wake up, you're, you're angry or uptight about something, you blow through a traffic light, you honk at somebody, you're nasty on the road. Um, when you're imperfect, which is going to be often, friends, Ask forgiveness. I remember once going into a bookkeeper's office at a church I was working in, and I made a derogatory statement about the congregation, thinking that was kind of a funny thing, you know, to do. I was immediately convicted in my heart that you shouldn't talk about the Lord's people that way. So I went back into the bookkeeper's office. Dee Dee, <laughs> I need to ask forgiveness shouldn't have said that she said thank you so much for saying that very gracious we sin we ask forgiveness there's abundant grace to cover our sins so it is uh, with ministers and elders when we say one thing but do another Paul would say in Romans 2 you therefore who teach another do you not teach yourself you who preach that one shall not steal do you steal The Apostle Paul would tell Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Listen to this. Show yourself an example to those who believe. 
So here too, the church needs not only to be told what to do, but must have it exemplified by her leaders. Truth must not be left in the realm of theory, but must be implemented in life. This word example comes from the word tupos, which we, uh, which we get type. It means to, it, it is an example, a pattern. Literally, said one commentator, it refers to a mark or impression left by an instrument such as a pen, a sword, or a hammer. My father learned to type and typed until the Lord took him away on an old Elsie Smith typewriter. The thing weighed about 150 pounds, and he would sit there, and he would just bang away on those keys, and he, um, he'd type. And so that arm swinging up, that metal arm, wham, against the, the paper and the ribbon, and it would leave that impression. This is a type. Titus is to present himself to the church, old and young alike, as a pattern which they might imitate. Paul says elsewhere, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and I'll tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about heaven, Jesus, the joys of salvation, but do we enjoy the Lord, and do we truly love the things of the Lord? Friends, this is a great thing to pray for your elders and your, your pastor. Pray, pray. A faithful minister and elder lives on earth, but he lives as a citizen of heaven. The church, seeing his example, should live after that same pattern. The writer of Hebrews says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. Seeing Titus, they might have a pattern, a a, a model to, to imitate themselves after. They must, ministers and elders, must exemplify the very truth they preach if we are to expect the congregation to live out the things of the Lord. You should desire it of your leaders, and you should expect that they should lead in this way, and you should follow. And I will say this. I will say this. It is incumbent upon leaders that they do this. But it is also incumbent upon the congregation to imitate that which is good and not that which is evil. There's a disparity. The whole body of Christ is to be moving in, in obedience to the Lord Jesus. Right? We, we expect sometimes our, our leadership to be one way, but then we have our hold ourselves to a different standard. That's not going to wash. Everyone needs to hold up the standard of the word of God, and we need to aspire to follow after the things the Lord has said. In what things is Titus supposed to lead forth as an example? Again, listen to 7 through 8a. He says, In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. This is the godly example that you are to set, Titus. This is the godly example that is to be followed. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. He is to set an example, a pattern for the saints on Crete, in two main areas, and, and, and these areas in all things, how he lives and what he says, what comes forth from his mouth. Be an example of good deeds. It is one thing to talk about good deeds or to be willing to do good deeds, 
to have the best of intentions, but never quite getting around to it, and the doing of good deeds. Good deeds are works. They're works. Things we do that are noble, that are beautiful or excellent in nature, they are works that are, that are helpful, that are a blessing to other people. They are things that God commands of his people. They adorn the gospel. They give credibility to our words. Remember Crete, again, they were always liars. They were evil beasts and lazy gluttons. Well, the surest way to undermine the gospel in a, in a community of liars is go out there and continue to lie. By all means, just lie. That'll help them, see it? Right? By all means, do the things that they did, the evil beasts uh, being lazy gluttons. No, these people, these false teachers, they would profess to know God, but by their deeds, said Paul, they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. They prayed off of other people. They taught things for sordid gain. They used other people, were happy to take, but would not give. They were consumers whose God was their appetite. This hits at a major theme of Titus, the theme of good deeds, the idea that we are called to adorn the gospel. If you look at uh, chapter 2, verse 7, let me read this again. He says, In all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds. That down in 14 he says, you gave, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says, this is a trustworthy statement and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. And then in verse 14, he says of chapter 3, our people must learn to engage in good deeds deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful clearly good deeds are a matter of importance in the church especially in the 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 wake and especially in the context of a wicked society those who believe in god should be careful to engage in good deeds and to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful The unregenerate man, the non-Christian, does not know the Lord. He does not live with the hope of heaven, but lives for this world. His hopes, his aspirations are to leave his mark on this world, to secure a name for himself, a fortune, a legacy. And while he does something for others, he is doing it for himself. He asks himself, what will I get out of this? How will this benefit me? But he's not thinking of the Lord. He's thinking about himself. The Christian, on the other hand, has a new star in his eyes. He no longer lives for himself, but for the Lord. And he gives up, uh, he does this for the Lord because the Lord has given up his life for him. Interesting that in Matthew chapter 25, I believe it is, Lord, Lord, when did we see you naked and clothe you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you sick and in prison and come and visit you? And what does Jesus say? When you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. What always astounds me about that passage is that they don't have a checklist of things that they've done. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see it here. (laughs) They're not paying attention to that sort of thing because it's a natural overflow. They're not doing it to be recognized by the world. They're doing it as unto the Lord. That's a Christian. That's what Christians 
do. He has a new star in his eye. He, he does it for the Lord, not for himself. And the Christian now, he dies to himself and he lives for the Lord and he loves others. Rather than being a consumer, a taker of others, he now becomes a giver. You must be careful to set an example of good deeds, Titus. That's consistent with a new heart. It's consistent with a new spirit, with a new life. Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Miletus, "Um, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So as Titus is to emphasize the importance of good deeds to these people, he must not allow himself to be merely a a talker, but he must be a doer of good deeds to meet the pressing needs, to be, uh, be they financial, food, or clothing, to help with physical labor. Here, Titus and the leaders must set that example. They must lead the charge. And as Peter would say, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And on this note, because, again, in the church, we oftentimes, well, what's our ministry here? What are you going to organize for us to, to go out and go do good deeds? I'm not going to organize anything. You're going to see them, and you're going to meet the need. Or if you think of it, That's the Lord impressing it on you that you should go and do it. Again, stop looking to the church to to spell everything out for you. Take it upon yourself. And if it's a need that's bigger, too big for you, involve other brothers or sisters and get them involved. Again, we, we wait for the church to come up with a program to administrate these types of things. That shouldn't be the case. It should be the individual Christian doing this when we were at the other building, the other church, rather. The school, remember, closed. And one of the more seasoned saints came to me and said, you know, it's really sad because now we don't have an outreach. I said, that's not true. He goes, really? What is it? I said, it's you. (laughs) Me? I said, it's you. We don't use the school as our gospel outreach. It's every Christian who's supposed to be reaching out with the gospel. You see this, and we've become Americans where we're waiting for someone to create a program for us so that now I can do ministry. Ministry is living the love of Christ and applying that love to those people who are around us. It's not waiting for the church. The church's function is word and sacrament. It is to preach the word. It is to make disciples. It is to baptize them and give them the Lord's Supper, to discipline when it's necessary. It's all of these sorts of things. The church's goal is to make a disciple, an individual who follows in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and looks like Jesus Christ in his life. That's the job of the church. All these other things, as important as they are, they are to be on your shoulders and you are to pursue those things. So he has to set an example of good deeds. He should set an example in the things that he teaches. Listen here, he says, with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. 
In the things he teaches, he must be an example of purity in doctrine. He must not, mustn't show uh, corruptibility in the substance of the things he teaches. Again, in contrast, in Crete, there were many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision who said, the apostle, they must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. You see what the apostle's doing? This is what Crete is. These are the false teachers. Really important that we not imitate that which is evil, but imitate that which is good. The Christians on Crete should and could expect from Titus true, incorruptible doctrine, not giving himself to myths, to speculations, to opinion, not following after the trends of the day, not the latest book club fodder. There is this fad in some circles. If you're only preaching the Bible, it's a little bit too simplistic. If you aren't quoting regularly at length some desert monk from the 5th century or 20th century mystic, you're not nearly deep enough for me. You know, i got to tell you, I'm totally unimpressed with people who, who will quote this and quote that, and they'll tell you all, oh, well, you know, so-and-so, and we get so deep into mystery. And it's really just a fine line of Gnosticism is what it is. Friends, the Bible's enough. The Bible is enough. It is sufficient. It is God's faithful revelation to us of who he is and what he requires of us. John MacArthur said it so well. The, 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 the waiter who comes to the table with the food, he's not supposed to mess with the food, just deliver it to the table. The minister's not supposed to mess with the food, just deliver it. You don't have to reinvent it. I don't need to recreate something. Just say what this, the book says. Right? We dig in, we exegete it, but the goal is to pull out the meaning of the text and feed the sheep. That's the goal. That's what we do. That's what Titus is supposed to do. Be an example of purity and doctrine. Give them orthodox doctrine, straight and unadulterated, solid biblical truth. The church needs this, especially when we consider how we are, how we are bombarded on every side by falsehood. And he says, be an example of dignity. Now, with dignity, we so often think of highbrow and stuffy. This word does not mean there isn't a sense of humor or that he shouldn't have a sense of humor or that it's somehow wrong to laugh. But it is a reference to the manner in which he relays the truth. When you speak, your words should not be flippant. There should be um, a seriousness to our words. We should give to you words um, and assign the proper weightiness, a proper gravity to the things we are talking about. When we're talking about the souls of men and women, we're not telling jokes about the devil and the pitchforks and coffee breaks and making light and trying to slide it in and make it you know, so unoffensive. Again, this is our day. This is the day we live in. I think sometimes... Um, we don't want people to think we're tripping all over ourselves. So things that should not be disregarded become suggestions or good ideas rather than presented as mandates. Serious truth should be presented in a most serious manner. We're speaking about issues of life and death and hope. So these aren't silly things. Don't be silly about the things of God. 
finally be an example of sound speech. Sound speech uh, is, is speech which is beyond reproach. The issue here is not doctrine or theology, but conversation and day-to-day speech. The minister is a Christian. He is a follower, a representative of Christ 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. His speech in the pulpit, his speech out of the pulpit, must be above reproach, free from scandal, and that he might not be censured. He should strive to be unrebukable in all the things he says. In Ephesians, Paul says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. The goal in all of this is to set before the congregation a godly example. Here was a congregation coming out of the world, and Titus, they need to know how to implement the very things that you're saying. So it's really important that you live these things out and that you show them how to do this, not just tell them what they ought to be doing. Live it yourself. Again, he is to hold forth a worthy pattern to imitate that they can see and mimic in their own lives. And if leaders don't, what will the church imitate? And what then becomes of her witness? This is why, my friends, it is so important for us. It is so important for us. And so why? So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. The opponents are those who oppose the true gospel, who oppose the true church, who are trolls, as we use the word nowadays, those who follow something only to find fault. And when they find it, they exploit it, using it to discredit what is believed and to discredit what is taught. They spread lies and malicious gossip, but their lies and gossip don't stick. And you know why? Because your words and your behavior don't match with the words that they, they accuse you of. And so you watch the example, and that's what will prove that, um, that you are the real deal. And so when they, these false teachers come and they spread these things, uh, they will be put to shame because your life matches with the things that you teach. And they are then ultimately put to shame. This is important for us, friends. It's important for our leaders, and it is important for us as a congregation to remember as we labor to get the gospel out to this region. If we have the true gospel, and we do, But if we don't live it out, we ultimately hurt its witness. May God help us. Let's pray. Again, O Lord, we thank you for your word and pray that um, in spite of deficiencies, we pray that you would uh, move mightily upon your people and that you will help us to take to heart uh, the instruction we receive from your word and that you would grant to us the leadership, those uh, potential leaders in the future, We pray, Lord, that we would take the words that you have said and that we would live them out and set before the congregation, the people in the church, faithful examples to imitate. Forgive us, Lord, for so often we fail in these things. Forgive us for the times we are caught up in this world. We are um, distracted and, and moved from our primary duties. Help us to be about the work you've called us to and to do so faithfully. We pray that you would help us 
as we endeavor through Sunday school and the services and, and times of prayer and times of meeting to make disciples. Help us, Lord, to make disciples for your name as you've instructed. We ask again that your blessing be upon your church and that you will revive her and help her. Now we pray that you would send us with your blessing, and I do ask these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.